You're listening to Inspiration for Ministry, a podcast by Newbold that supports students who are taking their ministerial training. Now, some of you might still be considering only the career in ministry. Others are well on the way of reaching their dreams, and some others are maybe still sitting on the fence. No matter your place in this, this program is for you. My name is Daniel Pushkash, and I sit down with some amazing people who are going to share parts of their inspiring journeys with us. Hello and welcome back to Inspiration for Ministry. So today we have with us a special guest from far away. You're probably used to having guests from uh, Europe and around uh, our area, maybe here in the UK. But today we have a guest from Australia. So uh, today with us we have Pastor Marcus Torres, who is pastoring in Perth, Australia. Marcus, welcome and thank you for being with us in the program. Thank you. Thank you, Danilo. I'm I'm blessed to be here, man. I'm super excited. I know that many people around you are going to be super excited also because they know that they are following your your ministry a lot. So just to give a brief introduction, uh, Marcus is not just a pastor in in his church, but he's also an author. And uh, there are a few things that you could look up when it comes to his resources. So the first thing just to have in mind is that there is a website where he is publishing all the relevant, so to say, material uh, in various different uh, ways. So the website is the Story uh, Church Project. Uh, Did I get that right, Marcus, right? Dot com. Yeah, Story Church Project. And over there, you can see uh, many of the resources, but I would really like just to turn your attention to the new Bible study that he had published just recently called The Road. I've seen a lot of praise. I still, to be honest, I'm sinful, man. I didn't order my copy <laughs> just yet, but we are trying to get that for the college. So, Marcus, do you just want to share maybe a few thoughts about that Bible study? Or what, you know, what did motivate you? What is it uh, aimed to do and so on? Yeah, sure, man. Oh, dude, I could go about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, um, so let me try and summarize this as quickly as possible. Basically, I came to Australia and my biggest passion in ministry is working with people who don't have a background in Christianity or church at all. Sort of secular, postmodern. I mean, those phrases in themselves are sort of outdated, but just to, just to give a lay of the land. Um, yeah. People who are unchurched, deeply unchurched. And so when I got to Australia, um, I found that the secular culture here is on another level of secular <laughs> that even even I wasn't ready for, you know. <laughs> um, and so what I what I started to realize as I made friends and people had questions about spirituality or about God or about the Bible, um, and this wasn't just true of people who were completely unchurched; it was even true of young people in in church who were being raised in this very postmodern society. Uh, what I found was that there wasn't a single Bible study set that I could really turn to that was specifically designed to navigate the narrative of scripture meaningfully with them. Mm-hmm. And so I just started writing my own and I've been doing that for the last five years. Um, and I finally got to the point where I said, Hey, let's, let's publish this. So that's really the bottom line. It's a, it's a Bible study set that is specifically designed for navigating through the narrative of scripture, um, as Adventists understand it, and look, a, a lot of people are surprised by this. I'm when it comes to theology, I'm I'm kind of traditional, you know. I I I don't have this, uh, <laughs> you know, super. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, novel ideas. I'm I'm quite traditional, uh, but 
I wanted to communicate that narrative, the gospel, the prophetic narrative in, in a way that made sense to people, in a way that had existential utility for people who didn't share the assumptions of historic Christians or Protestants or, 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 or Adventists. So yeah, that's essentially what gave birth to the road, a journey through the narrative of scripture. I think it's a very good introduction already, uh, to, to be honest. And uh, also maybe just to add to that, because you, you did mention, so you came to Australia. Can you tell us a little bit just of that journey? You came from where and how did you end up in Australia? Yeah. Oh man, that's a messy story. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm originally a Jersey boy. I'm from New Jersey. I grew up 20 minutes south of Manhattan. Um, and when I was 18, I joined the army and I got stationed in Hawaii, spent four years there. Uh, then I did a year in Iraq uh, on a deployment. And during those years that I was in the military was the very first time, because I was raised in a very traditional sort of conservative Adventist Latino church. Um, and so when I left home and I joined the military and I, I, it was the first time I, I realized, you know, people are very different from the bubble that I was raising. You know, pe people, people don't just have different beliefs. People have different ways of constructing their beliefs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that made sharing my faith and conversations and things I had assumed and, and taken for granted, uh, actually really difficult to communicate. And so, um, I just, I, I wasn't, you know, uh, studying anything then I wasn't reading books. I was just a normal human being trying to connect with these guys and trying to navigate scripture and, and share my faith with them. Uh, a lot of them would never talk to a chaplain. They would never set foot in a chaplain's office, but they knew I was a follower of Jesus. They knew I was a Christian. They knew I was committed. So they would come and ask me questions and man, I, I messed it up so many times, man. <laughs> there, ah, oh, man, I, I said some stuff that's just like, oh, um, I wish I could take it back, but at the same time I was growing, I was on a journey. And so when, when I finished my tour in Iraq, I came back to America, um, and I went to Southern Adventist university. And when I graduated Southern Adventist university, I had a choice. The choice was to either, um, invest my time and my energy and my ministry in working in regions that were primarily already, you know, sort of Christian, mm -hmm. uh, people understood Christian norms to some degree. It was, it was cultural, uh, kind of like my own culture in the Latino world where, where most people, even people who don't go to church have a general understanding of, of Christian norms. Um, it was either that, or, um, I could do what I felt God was calling me to do, which was to really dive into being a, a sort of a missionary in the post-church, um, in the sort of post-church milieu. And, um, I didn't mention this part of the story cause it's, like I said, it's a messy story, but at this point I was already married and my wife was from Australia or is from Australia, actually. And I knew Australia is a very secular society. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a world where traditional Adventist evangelism doesn't work very well. Traditional Adventist churches don't thrive very well with, with the local population that is. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was just like, okay, let's do that. You know, let's, let's, let's go there and, and, and give our lives to this mission. Um, so that's how a Jersey boy <laughs> ended mm. up in, in Perth. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that's a journey. That's really a journey. And just to add, Marcus, I, I believe that many, uh, many listeners, especially here from Europe, are going to be able to relate a lot to what you're saying right now, because the church in Europe is struggling also with the post-church uh, mentality and everything to, to reach us. So, just maybe encourage, encouragement again for those who are following the program is really to, to check some of the podinas and resources that, that Marcus has on his website. I think that that's going to be very, very beneficial for people, honestly. 
Uh, okay, well, Marcus, maybe just also before we go to that, what you call the main part of the conversation, but this is all I would say the whole conversation is going to be <laughs> the main part. Uh, just maybe what you are focusing at the moment, so your church, uh, in your ministry, and so on. Sure. Mm. So right now I'm actually planting a church. Um, it, this this journey began a little bit over a year ago. We haven't launched yet because COVID has kind of slowed us down quite a bit. Mm. Uh, but that that kind of was a blessing in disguise anyway. I think we I think we really appreciated the slowing down. But um, that aside, I'm planting a church, and uh, the reason why I'm church planting is for everything I just explained. Um, I've been pastoring here in Perth now for six years. Um, and it's just been an amazing opportunity, man. I've learned so much. I've met some amazing people. Um, I've worked at some amazing local churches here in, in the Perth city. Um, and yeah, just, it's just been a blast. But the one thing that I kept noticing consistently, which is what I expected when I got here, um, it's, but it's a different thing when you see it happening and, and you're there and you're immersed in the, in the context and, and, and there's nothing you can do about it is, um, our churches really, really, really do struggle at connecting with and discipling people who don't have a background in, in Christianity or mm-hmm. Adventism, some type of church. So I'll give you an example. Just um, a couple of years ago in one of the local churches I was working at, very active church, lots of energy, lots of talent, um, uh, lots of enthusiasm, very mission-minded, um, uh, also a very traditional church. And uh, I noticed that we were getting a lot of guests that just were showing up uh, on Sabbath, just walking in the door saying, hey, um, just walking by, I wanted to come in and I've uh, been reading my Bible or I've been praying or I've been, you know, we also had a really active Bible worker who was meeting people in, the, in their homes. Uh, and so we had a lot of people just turning up. And, and what I noticed was anyone who had sort of a religious background of some sort um, or were older generations tended to stick around. Anyone who was young with a secular background would last about two months and then they would leave. Uh, so what I actually did was I sat down with some of these guys and I said, hey, um, you know, what's going on? Tell me, tell me why you stopped attending the church. And I, I met with, you know, at the park or at Dome, which is a cafe here. I would just catch up with them and actually go for the jugular and ask them the question, like, what is the reason why you've decided not to, not to come back? Um, and they all said the same thing. And it's funny because, like, they didn't even know each other. You know, like, uh, they, they, these weren't all people who attended at the same time. It was at different different seasons. Um, and they all said the same thing. They all said, look, I love your church. It's not, it's not a judgmental place. The people are friendly. Um, the message is nice. Uh, I just don't fit in. It always came back to the same exact thing. And it's interesting because we have this sort of myth, I think, that exists in the church today that people leave the church because people were mean. Um, and, and I believe that, you know, if this church becomes really friendly and, and, and really kind and uh, we're, we're, you know, sort of seeker friendly, as you call it, um, then the seekers will stay. And, and this kind of burst my bubble. I was like, OK, being a kind, non-judgmental church with a nice message isn't enough. They just didn't fit in. They, they didn't understand, you know, um, the, they, they couldn't they couldn't understand the language. They couldn't understand the mindset. They felt that um, a lot of the people that were there were really disconnected from reality and, 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 and the real world, so to speak. Uh, we had one guy attending who was a, uh, a drug addict um, in recovery, and uh, we tried to get him to connect with the youth group, and he just couldn't relate to anyone. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, just, yeah. So they just they couldn't fit in. And so for me, the thing was, I think the difficulty with creating a church that is actually designed specifically for reaching a a, a, um, a, a post-church demographic, right? A secular demographic. It, it requires a lot more 
than strategies and methods, right? It, it requires a deep cultural change. It requires a, it requires a deconstruction and reconstruction of the self, of, of our approach to mission, of our understanding of, of how we articulate the gospel. And that's impossible to do in established churches. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's, well, maybe it's not impossible. Maybe, maybe somebody's figured out how to do it. I didn't. <laughs> Let's just put it like that. I tried and I just, I failed. Okay. I, I could not figure out how do you redesign a local established church with traditional ways of thinking and categorizing and expressing themselves into a church that's going to meaningfully connect with secular people. And so I decided, um, you know what, it's time to plant a church. And so I got a, a team together of people who were already in the same wavelength with me. And we've been working for the last year and some change to articulate and, and, and yeah, give birth to a different type of church, a different model of church, a different, a different structure that has as its focal point being a, a missional community that would be, um, existentially valuable to people who don't have a church background. Mm. So, so that's pretty much where I'm at right now. Yeah. That's such a courageous, uh, to be honest, I mean, step because, oh, we can talk about this now for, for ages, I believe, because we just had also <laughs> excellent great. lecture recently here at Newbold about the situation at the moment uh, where the general cr Christian church is moving that is going into smaller communities rather than having the big communities where you come from the program and show and that people are actually relating to that much, much better. So mm -hmm. I don't know which direction I, are you moving to uh, towards uh, when it comes to that, but there is a shift and I fully, Absolutely. I can relate to what, what you're saying now and I, I believe that many people also can because we see that change. And yes, sometimes it's very difficult to change the whole culture of the local church or maybe the whole institution, right, in a certain area. But we are, we are going to pray for you, man, and for, for your group, oh, definitely, you. that you are going to do an amazing <laughs> job, honestly. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, no, no, no. So, all right. I, I would love to have this conversation for the next two hours, basically, about <laughs> the thing that you're doing at the moment. But maybe, maybe one day we can have that conversation in a different yeah. environment. Uh, so basically, since we are since we are here at the college, um, basically educating uh, young people and not just young people, whoever comes here to study theology, the the main focus uh, here is to prepare people for the ministry that they feel called to do. So some of them they're going to be pastors, some others are going to be maybe educators, working in charities and so on. But we are focusing mostly at this moment in our conversations. On pastoral work so since you're a pastor and since you're well what you have mentioned now maybe not not so much in the in the mainstream of pastoral work so to say uh you are trying some different things uh maybe you can share with people something that you would say is the most inspirational part of a pastoral work why would someone choose to be a pastor and is there a way to be a different type of pastor maybe from from a model that sometimes we have in mind yeah, absolutely, man. So the most inspiring part of being a pastor, hands down, this is for me. I suppose different people would have different answers. But for me, the most inspiring part of being a pastor is sitting down with someone who's seeking God, uh, who's searching, whose heart is, is really thirsting after God, being able to do life with them, being able to go on the journey with them. And the the joy or uh, the, the the power, I don't know, it's, it's almost hard to find a word to, to capture it. The moment, I suppose, that you sit there and you see the, you see the light come on in their eyes, mm. 
and they realize that God loves them. And it, it, it goes from a theoretical um, concept, from a meta theme to something ineffable, something that just becomes so real to them that even human language, they, they wouldn't even be able to express it in properly, but you know it's become real for them. And for me, I think that is the thing that is just beyond, I mean, look, pastoral ministry is not easy. It's got its ups and downs. It's got its frustrations. Um, I've wanted to quit a few times. <laughs> um, but when you have those moments where you can actually invest in someone and you see that moment where the love of God becomes real, it's just, man, I, I can't even, it's, the moment itself is ineffable. I, I can't really fully describe it, but there's something about that that for me is the most inspiring thing. And you, and you don't have to be a pastor to have those moments. You know, you can, you can have those moments whether you're in pastoral ministry or not. Um, but for some reason, because you're, when you are in pastoral ministry, it's kind of, you can really, you know, you, you don't have to parse between, you know, building a house and, um, leading someone on that journey. It's kind of like, this is, this is your thing, you know, this is what you do. And it's just beautiful, man. It's just absolutely beautiful. So I'll give you an example. I had a, a young lady that I was working with some years ago, um, who, uh, now she wasn't secular. She had been raised in church, uh, but she was the kind of person who had every reason to walk away from God, every reason to walk away from God. And, um, I worked with her for, geez, maybe two years and I just couldn't get through. She had been raised in an Adventist church. She had been, um, abused by one of the members of the church, uh, when she was very young, I think, um, maybe 12 years old. Um, she had tried to get the church's support. The church had basically turned their backs on her and taken the side of the abuser. Um, and she was, she was wounded, man. She was wounded. She was hurting. Um, you know, she had really severe mental health issues. Um, yeah. I mean, I would get phone calls, you know, one time she, one time she's asked me, you know, um, can you still go to heaven if you commit suicide? It's like, how do you answer that question? Cause it's kind of like, what are you telling me? You know? Um, yeah, just really, really, really tough, man. And, um, anyways, so long story short, she, she went back over East one, um, one year and said, Hey, look, I, uh, I'm going to confront the things that uh, I've, I've, I'm going to confront my demons. Basically, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take this thing on. And she kept messaging me and, 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 you know, I was trying to encourage her. She came to some Bible classes I taught as well. And, you know, um, but nothing really seemed to hit it. So anyways, I just kept encouraging her and praying for her. And, um, and I sent her some audio sermons from a friend of mine in America who um, has also been through a very similar experience, if not an, um, a uh, nearly identical experience who, who speaks life into that, you know, into the, into the issue of, um, into those issues of, of, of abuse and sexual assault and things like that. And, and I sent her some of her sermons where she talks about God's love and God's success. Anyways, long story short, man, I, I get a message from her one day out of the blue and it just, it was just, just the simplest message. And there was nothing, there was no theological like novelty to it whatsoever. It was just, I finally get, this is what, what the message said. I finally get that God loves me. You know, like you go to, you know, you go to um, Newbold or Avondale or, you know, wherever to get your PhD. And, and that may not be the, uh, <laughs> the topic that, I mean, uh, unless you're uh, John Peckham, I suppose. But, <laughs> you know, like the love of God is just one of these things that we're so used to hearing about, you know, and it's just like, okay. But when she wrote that, 
it was in the simplicity of the language. It was, it was, it was in the elementariness of, of the way in which it was expressed that I knew it became real for her because when, when someone really experiences the love of God, it's unutterable. It's, it's a longing that cannot be, you know, uh, brought down into formulaic human language. You, there's nothing you can really say other than I get it. And wow, he loves me. Mm. And for me, those are the moments that I'm just like, ah, oh, that, that's, that for me is the most inspiring part of ministry is just being able to be a part of that man yeah how would you say what's the role of a pastor in that i'm just thinking you know because it's something that she had to for example realize right so it's not something mm -hmm. that you can teach a person well god loves you and now you have to believe that but they have to experience it in some sure. some kind of a way what yeah. would you say what's your role in that yeah man this is a really good question because if i could if i could be a little bit sort of um, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna teeter on the edge of maybe uh, um, ruffling some feathers. Uh, here's the thing: I think modern day pastoral ministry um, is is too. What's the word I'm looking for? Modern day pastoral ministry seems to has to have lost the sense of mystery. We 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 seem to want to engage ministry like business people. Um, it's all about strategies and methods and surveys and, you know, uh, polls and you're looking at these graphs and look, I, I use that stuff too. I like it. You know, I'm not saying that it's evil, uh, but there's a degree. And, and, and I really experienced this when I was an intern and I, I was interning as a, as a young pastor. Um, and it really began to feel like pastoral ministry revolves around this very mechanical, um, approach to to spirituality where everything is regimented mm -hmm. and your calendar you know i had my, my calendar looked like a looked like a like looked like a rainbow you know like <laughs> everything was color coded and 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 neatly spelled out and you know sermons were written before the year even started and i knew what i was preaching about in december before it was even yeah. january you know it was just so regimented and 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 everything was about like everything was about results and um return on investment and and yeah and ministry almost became a sales funnel mm. um, where you're, you know, stage one, you know, person in, you know, how do you move a person through the stages of discipleship, you know, and it's like this funnel that you create to measure people. I don't know. Look, I'm not saying that this stuff's evil, but what I began to realize um, as I journeyed deeply with people is that there is a part of pastoral ministry that is mysterious and it must remain that way. Mm -hmm. It's the part of pastoral ministry that you can't put into a calendar. You can't put it into a diary and you can't write a book about it. And trust me, man, I'm the guy who like, when I learn something, I want to write a book. <laughs> and when it came to the mystery of, of pastoral ministry, I was like, that's a book I'm never going to write because you can't, it's, it's a mystery. And I think God purposely intends for it to be that way. So I would say that the role in which the pastor plays in that person's um, spiritual development is is a mystery that I cannot fully describe. And what it really takes is you being connected to the Holy Spirit, mm. your own personal life, and having seeking authentic relationship with Him and seeking authentic relationship with people. And within that space of authenticity, God does things that you can't put in a diary. And and that's where the that's where the beauty is. And I think at the end of the day, what I love about that is I can look at people like this young lady and so many others that I've journeyed with over the years and say, you know what? I throughout this whole journey um it's it was it was god who did it you know it, it wasn't me you know I, I didn't give her her aha moment mm. god gave her the aha moment i was just there to be to be a listening ear to to be a support to pray for her 
And, and that's what it's been like with everyone, man. Like, and, and I say this to people, just to throw this in there as well, um, because I talk a lot about ministry in the secular sphere, about ministry and postmodernism. And, and some people have become approaching me like I'm like the postmodern whisperer, you know, like Pastor Marcus, you know, like when it comes to reaching the postmodern world, he's got the answers. And, and look, let me tell you, I do not. I do not have the answers. I do not know what I'm doing half the time. And, and, but what I have found is that when I know what I'm doing too much, something's off. I need to be, I need to be in that space where I'm like, God, what's going on here? What do I do now? Because if I'm not there, if I've got it all figured out, if I've got a nice, you know, neat little formula, chances are it's not really a spiritual thing that's happening, you know? And so, yeah, I, I, long-winded answer. I hope that, Marcus, hope that makes sense. <laughs> it, I, it wasn't. It was, I would say, perfect. I, I know that I can relate to what you, you have said, and I believe many other people, because that's the book, actually, that needs to be written, that there, that there is no structure that you can just copy and paste, you know, when it that's comes right. to pastoral ministry. But it, it's that dynamic relationship with the Spirit. And Absolutely. that's, uh, as you're saying, that's uncomfortable very often because it, it is easier for, for us as humans just to follow where you need to do this, this, and that. And that's going to take you to that result, right? Mm -hmm. But because we are doing with, dealing with spiritual things, it's, it's definitely different. Oh, yeah. Again, again. Just a lot of things to take for, from this part of the conversation, but there is something also that we need to emphasize when it comes to pastoral ministry. And you did give a little hint on that, and that is when the difficulties come, when the questions come, uh, maybe doubts uh, for the personal calling that that person might have. Um, and you shared also just a little bit that you did go through that a little bit. What would you say that when these moments come, what, what is something that a young pastor, pastor should have in mind uh, to, to, to go through that? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I think it was uh, Friedrich Nietzsche who said, um, he who has a why can bear almost anyhow. Hmm. Um, I would say, and well, let me, let me back up a little bit and just share a little, expand a little bit more on what I, what I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, when I was in university, and uh, I would talk to my professors. I would ask them about their ministry and how they felt about ministry and, you know, whether they ever felt like quitting ministry. And I always found the answers very interesting. And uh, I don't think that they were um, not being honest. I think that it was just their lived experience. But uh, the vast majority of them would say, oh, I've never, ever, ever dreamt of quitting ministry. This is it. This is everything for me. Um, and the thing is, for me, I've never, ever, ever dreamt of doing anything else but building the kingdom of God, right? Doing ministry. But the thing that I struggled with is building the kingdom of God, doing ministry, and being employed by the church are not necessarily the same thing. You know, <laughs> you can be fully immersed in building the kingdom of God and, and not have church employment. And so there were times where I wrestled with the, the you know, the, that part of ministry was like, am I called to do this? Am I called to do that? Like, where do I fit in here? You know, you're, you're wrestling with things. You're trying to figure things out. Um, you, you, and, and as you're doing that, you've got, uh, you've got your own problems. You know, um, I struggle with mental health. Um, you've got problems, uh, economic problems, family. You know, you're dealing with all this stuff. And then on top of that, you're trying to figure out like, okay, like wh where is my calling? And, you know, and, and so when I went through those seasons, it, it, I would almost think back to what my professors were saying and think, oh, I wonder, I wonder if I'm meant to do this because they said they never wanted to quit, but I do. <laughs> um, but that's when I started to realize like, you know, ministry isn't necessarily the same thing as, as, um, 
as as employment. But what I what I really discovered in that, um, and by the way, let me make something clear: I'm not knocking the employment either. I um, absolutely love it. Uh, I think it's just one of those seasons that you go through where you're questioning lots of things and you're trying to figure out where you where you sort of belong and 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 what your actual calling is and you're trying to parse all of that, you know. And um, and I'm a very you know honest person. I I, I don't like to um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Beat around the bush. I just like to put it out there and say, yeah, it was a struggle for me, and and I questioned it, and I and I wrestled with it, um, and I talked to my leaders about that, and they were really encouraging, really really helpful. Um, conference presidents here in um, in WA, and my ministerial secretary as well. I was really open with them and sharing these things with them, and they were really helpful. Um, but what I would say, perhaps the number one lesson that I that I learned through all that season, through all that struggle, is it's it's not a it's not a mind-blowing lesson. It's actually really, really simple. In fact, I've found that most of the things God teaches me are the really simple ones because I haven't learned them yet. So like, why is he going to give me something amazing? <laughs> I haven't even picked up on the simple stuff yet. you know. And, and the simple lesson that I learned was you live for an audience of one. That's it. Your ministry is for an audience of one. Your calling is for an audience of one. Your preaching is for an audience of one. And, and this is the thing that I, I guess to some certain degree I was struggling with is, you know, everyone has an expectation of you when you're a spiritual leader, when you're a pastor. Everyone has an expectation of you and everyone has an expectation of your family. And depending on what kind of church you end up in and what the culture is like, um, some of them may think, you know, your wife should be doing this and you should be doing that. And you may, you may encounter people who are like, you know, you should be preaching about these things. And not the things you are preaching about, and and so you you wrestle with that, right? And, and and you struggle with that. And so yeah, what what I learned through those seasons is, if you want to have an effective ministry, you you have to number one live for an audience of one. God has to be the only person whose approval you're interested in, mm. because you're never going to have everyone's approval. Mm. All right, believe you me, like. You know, lots of people are like, hey, Pastor Marcus, we love your content. You know what? Not everybody does. Some people hate it. <laughs> you know, like I've been called a Jesuit. I've been called all kinds of stuff, man. Some people cannot stand me. I've had to block people on my social media who are just trolling, man. You know, like not everybody's going to like you, you know? Um, I remember reading a quote just recently. It said something like, uh, the most liberating moment in my life was when I realized I'm not everyone's cup of tea and that's okay. You know? Mm. And so living for an audience is one. It's like, okay, like, do I, am I, am I, am I living authentically within the assignment that God has given me? Because if I'm living authentic within the assignment he's given me, then for me, that's what I mean by living for his approval, right? It's, it's, it's not a salvific approval. It's, it's just a, yes, I've done what you called me to do. You know, um, I've, I've, I've fulfilled the, the, you know, I've, I've said what you asked me to say and, and I fulfilled the calling that you've placed on my heart because the only alternative to that is to become a, uh, to borrow from Brene Brown, a, a, a human pretzel, right? You're always bending and twisting yourself to fit in with the expectations that the other people have of you. Uh, and so that would, that would be one of the biggest lessons I learned is like, look, live for an audience of one. And when you live for an audience of one, when you live for God's approval alone, what that does is it sets you free to be yourself. It sets you free to fulfill the assignment he's given you. Um, and at the same time, you realize like, even if you bend yourself like a pretzel and try to meet everyone's expectation of you, it's still not enough. They're still going to criticize you. They're still going to, you know, <laughs> they're still going to find something, some reason to, to say that you're not doing good enough. And so that's a, that's a losing game anyway, you know? And so for me, I just made that decision early on. I was like, look, I'm going to live for an audience of one. I'm going to, I'm going to live for the assignment that God has put me, put me here. Uh, I'm going to fulfill that with the most 
the utmost honesty and authenticity that that I can. And whoever loves it loves it, and whoever doesn't, <laughs> they they don't. You know, um, there's a therapist you can see for that if it bothers you that much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that would be the first lesson, uh, and the second one is is really linked to it quite deeply. Um, and it's coming back to this idea of Nietzsche, you know, that you, whoever has a why can bear almost anyhow. Um, and it's it's this idea that you know the the calling that God has placed on your life is is your why. So you have your relationship with God, you know, living living for His approval alone, but also the reason for why you're on this earth, the reason why you exist, your why, right? And and when you're really plugged into that, man, when when you are really plugged into your why, and you wake up in the morning and you jump on your feet, and your why is the thing that's driving you. Um, you 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 really can bear almost anyhow you know like the criticisms will come and and the challenges will come the difficulties will come and i'm not saying that you won't you know lay in bed at night and wish it was all over and maybe even cry yourself to sleep from time to time it, it doesn't take the suffering away but but it helps you really endure and 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 move on and this is has been my experience is like really locking in like what has god called me to do and it's like okay god has placed on my heart a heavy burden for the secular post-church world. That's my calling. That's mm. my burden. All my energy, all my effort, all my, all my tenacity is focused on that. Mm. And what that does is it allows me to move things to the side that I don't have energy or time for, you know? Um, and, and really just because I'm like, you know, here's the reality. Every human being has a limited life force. And what that means is you have to, you have to ration your life force because when you use it, 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 it's gone, right? And so, and it's limited. So you have to ration that thing. And I'm not going to use the the little bit, the, the the limited life force that I have, right? To borrow, Ellen White uses that phrase a lot, right? The life force. So to borrow, the, to use the limited life force that I have, that I need to ration for the calling that God has placed on my life, um, to to waste that on stuff that's got nothing to do with what God's called me to do, you know? And so that, that was, that was a big decision that I made. So yeah, number one, you know, like really living for audience of one, number two, really knowing my why and, and orienting my energy toward that and other things, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't really waste my time. I try not to anyways. Yeah. We're all, we're all trying, but yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marcus, honestly, thanks a lot. Uh, you have shared so many great things today, uh, honestly. And and I know that uh, for, for the listeners, we did go over a little bit the time that we usually spend in a conversation. But that's, I be- that's, I'm American, man. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> no, I talk but, too much. <laughs> but, but to be honest, I believe that every single minute of this conversation was very important. So, Marcus, thanks a lot. We are going to definitely be praying for you. We Thank are you. going to hope that one day we might uh, see you here physically in the UK. I would love to. Yeah. And that there is going to be opportunity to engage in the conversation in, in reality, so to say, rather than in virtual reality. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, <laughs> but thanks a lot for, for spending this time with us. And I'm, I'm uh, sure that many students, especially at Newbold, because they're going to be aiming to reach people in Europe, which is, mm-hmm. I would say, probably yeah. similar uh, to Australia when it comes to the secular mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. They're going to be able to relate to this. So just a reminder again for those of you who are listening or watching this. So go to uh, Marco's uh, website uh, that is called the Story Church Project, uh, mm-hmm. uh, You can access many resources over there. 
And also here uh, at the college's website, you can access this um, uh, conversation whenever you want. And also some of the previous ones and some others that are going to come later. So thank you also for listening uh, this this conversation today and may God richly bless you all. Marcus, all the best and hopefully see you anytime soon. <laughs> thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you.